So today we're going to be talking about a parable about 10 virgins. And I want to give you the actual biblical view about the parable of these 10 virgins. If you're looking for maybe someone to chastise you about needing to perform more, uh, I'm definitely not that guy uh, that's going to be using this parable to do that because indeed that's really not God's heart and that's not at all what's going on in this parable. So let's just go ahead and dive in now. Maybe you've been taught that this parable of the 10 virgins is about your outward performance, your works, and how well you're doing to impress God. Um, is this about various levels? Maybe you've been taught uh, regarding hell. Well, I personally don't think it's about either one of these things. So today I hope to really unpack this. Let's see if we can find out what's really going on in this verse. And I think the answer is going to be a little clearer than you might think, because I think it's spelled out for us in these verses. All right. So first, let's go ahead and just review what the verses say. It's found in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Maybe a little boring, but we got to just put some context on it. If you would pay close attention to some of these words that I've highlighted. He says this, he says, um, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Well, the foolish ones, they took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, well, they took oil in jars with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and so they became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here it comes, and here's the bridegroom. Hopefully, we all know that the bridegroom is Christ, right? Come out to meet him. It's the great day. Then all the virgins woke up, and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, they may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go out uh, to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Uh, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready, well, they were, key word, they were ready. Remember, they were ready. Just keep that in focus here. Well, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the banquet, uh, to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others uh, also came. They say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replies, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So to summarize, what do we see here? We've got 10 virgins. You know, they're ready to meet the bridegroom. It's an exciting day. At least it should be. Five of these virgins, well, apparently they're foolish. And there are five others. Well, they're called wise. What made the one group, the five, so wise? Now, was it a bunch of outward works? Hold on before you jump to that conclusion. Let, let me point out that there's no mention of having various uh, levels of works in this parable. He doesn't even hint about performance. It comes up nowhere. But I think he does give us some hints 
And in fact, I think he actually comes out and tells us what's going on here. We just need to read the entire parable and pay attention to each and every word. So what makes an unbeliever foolish? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 tells us that the gospel is foolishness for those who are perishing. So unbelief, right? Those are the foolish people. And what makes us wise? Well, wouldn't it really be the exact opposite? I submit to you that the five virgins with the wisdom were wise because they, in this parable, they believe the message of the cross. They believe in Christ and everything that the scriptures teach us about him. Five of these virgins, uh, they did not have oil in their lamps. So this is very interesting. We keep reading about, okay, well, what is this oil? I mean, they're called foolish. And the other five, they, these other five who are wise, they have oil. And they're referred to as, as having wisdom. So we've got to ask ourselves, well, then what in the world is oil in this parable symbolic for? Is it symbolic for outward? I'm going to call it like it is prideful bragging about the things we do. Is that what's going on? I, I honestly, I don't think so. In fact, I think it would be foolish to think that the heart of Christ would be to get Christians to have a bunch of works rather than to show unbelievers the importance of inheriting salvation through faith and obtaining the Holy Spirit. And I think we're about to see in a moment that oil is symbolic of that. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit, which we indeed do receive through faith. So again, the oil is, is in fact, uh, I believe, symbolic for the Holy Spirit. And how do you prepare for salvation? I mean, do we prepare for salvation by works? I think some people teach that. Sure, they do. Um, but I think you have to commit intellectual suicide and do a lot of mental gymnastics to read the scripture and walk away thinking we get saved by works. Of course not. Now, some people say, oh, we're not saved by works, you know, but there's all. I, I always get nervous and I run for the hills when somebody starts with the but, but, but. So we prepare for salvation by trusting in Jesus. Any, excuse me, um, you're not going to find a single reference to about salvation through works. And the minute we start uh, pushing that, even slightly hinting about it, is the moment we're not really trusting in Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uh, has been symbolized in this parable uh, in the description of it being oil. So we know that there is going to come a day where the door is going to be shut. The clock will run out. And God is not going to shut the door on people who didn't perform well. I mean, think about what we will be saying you can love Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, believe that he died on a cross, was resurrected again, um, has the power to pay for your sins. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, but not if you didn't have a bunch of works. That's, do you see where we're going with that? Like people get jacked up on like a couple of verses out of James and they completely misunderstand the entire gospel because they, they get confused by terrible teaching of a couple of things that James teaches us, which are easily explained away, by the way. 
But for these people, when the door has been shut, it's too late for them. Why? Not because of performance. It's too late because they haven't been sealed to the day of redemption. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit because they never had faith. They never knew Christ. They never trusted in Jesus. And it's truly, truly the gospel is that simple. It's not complicated. And I, I, I let me encourage you. Be careful of people who complicate the gospel. God is not a God of confusion. He's not, he doesn't have this message that only the elite religious people can get. They confuse many of us with their terrible teaching or their legalistic teaching. Otherwise, if they would just teach it plain and simple, I think a lot of you end up walking away going, my gosh, that makes total sense. That makes so much more sense. How did I miss that? For so many years. And I think that's what we're about to see here. It's going to be a terrible day for people who interpret these scriptures and any of the scriptures as receiving salvation through outward performance. These will be people who seriously have missed the gospel. And quite frankly, um, in my opinion, they never knew Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to say to those people as we see here in verse 12, he said, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And I'm stopping there, not for theatrics, because I think we need to focus on what Jesus said. Please let me point out that in verse 12, Jesus is literally defining the problem in this parable. You're not going to find any mention of performance. No discussion about works and no discussion about outward sin. The problem he's describing is inward sin. He's talking about the sin of unbelief. He said, and I quote, I don't know you. Don't buy into the religious garbage that he knew them a few years back and then their work started kind of getting a little lackluster and now he doesn't know them anymore. No. That's not what Jesus is teaching us. This is about never knowing Christ. That's the problem. And that's telling us what we need to be looking at as we read this parable. I never knew you. And because I never knew you, because I don't know you, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have not been sealed to the day of redemption. You're not the guy that Jesus said, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? The scriptures say it over and over and over again. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall be saved and shall not perish, right? Doesn't mention works. Again, this Jesus is never mentioning works anywhere. He's not even mentioning outward sin. He's saying this, I don't know you. I do not know you. That, my friend, is not a believer. That is not someone who didn't have works. That is someone who is an unbeliever and never knew Jesus. So this does remind me, if I can point out, of another verse that's found in James um, chapter 7, verse 23, which many people wildly abuse because they don't understand the gospel. In this verse, Jesus describes the problem as well. He says, I never knew you. And the key word here is, Never. He flat out tells them. 
And yet we've got a bunch of terrible teaching from people trying to turn this verse into being about performance. Salvation is about knowing Christ. What we're learning in James chapter 7, verse 23, is a person who never knew Jesus. They think many people do that Christianity and salvation is about how well we perform and how much we do here on earth. And while these things are important, they miss that Christianity is about knowing and trusting Jesus. It is about recognizing that there is no amount of works, no amount of avoiding sin, uh, no amount of any type of human performance that is going to save us. It is literally about putting 100% of our trust for salvation in Jesus. And the minute somebody says, yeah, but you also need to, you fill in the blank, be water baptized, you tie 10% or whatever the garbage is they're pushing. That's the moment you know they've missed it. It's Jesus and nothing but Jesus. Not Jesus plus a little bit of you doing really good. Not Jesus plus you, you know, really, really, really begging for forgiveness. Not nothing, right? It's just Jesus. So again, I just want to encourage you that those people right there, they think the gospel, they think that this message here about the gospel is some kind of an anti-works message. And really, it's not. In fact, I'm going to say this, we're pro-works. We believe that Christians are made for good works. We believe that good works fulfill us. Um, the actual difference between the two views is really rather simple on the surface, if you pay attention. The other party believes that those works save you, right? Because if you listen very carefully, you'll find that neither party is preaching against works. Neither one of us are. But one party will demand that without them, you're not saved. And they, they'll twist up a little bit of James to make their case. And we can, we can debunk that fairly easily. But all you have to do is listen with a very careful ear. You'll notice that one group has a huge focus on you and your performance. And the other one has a huge focus on Jesus and his performance. And make no mistake, this is not semantics. This is about who you trust for your salvation. Is it trust in knowing Christ or is it trust in yourself and your performance? So finally, let's just wrap up here, folks. In Matthew 25, this is the conclusion here of the parable, verse 13. We just heard the problem. So Jesus gives us the point of the entire parable and he gives us the solution. Remember, uh, he just got through telling the group that he doesn't even know them. He told them, this is the problem. I do not know you. So if not knowing them is the problem, then the solution should be what? You need to know him, right? And as such, Jesus responds by saying the following in verse 13. This is what we're supposed to take away. Therefore, keep watch. Why? Why, you unbelievers? That's his heart. That's who he's speaking to. Because you do not know the day or the hour. You don't know. The moment you're going to die, it usually does not come with warning. Take watch. 
I don't know you. That's the problem. The solution is you need to know me before that day or hour comes. At the end of the age, when Jesus comes back, some are going to be ready for his arrival. Uh, for example, the wise virgins who have the Holy Spirit, i.e. the olive oil. Um, others will, they're not going to be ready, unfortunately, symbolized by the fool's virgins who have no oil. So the oil in context, what we've just discovered, it symbolizes the, the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you have not received what the parable uh, is symbolizing regarding oil. This is not a parable about you. It's not a parable about you and your human effort, and how awesome you need to be. This is a parable about you and whether or not you're going to be ready for judgment day. Are you ready for the arrival of Christ? Because the only way to do that is through faith. And if you believe in Jesus, I promise you this, you already have all of the oil that you are ever going to need. If you enjoyed this video, folks, please do me a favor and like, share, and uh, comment below. And God bless you all. Appreciate it.